Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at our text again and ask the Lord to bless us as we try to consider the sober commandment and warning that we have in these few words. Acts chapter 4 and verse 27. Neither give place to the devil. Amen. That's our text. That's our theme. You can remember those words. Even children can remember those words as long as you live. Let us stand together and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ has gained a complete victory over sin and the devil and our flesh. Amen. We're just waiting for him to reveal the final score to us. Amen. We thank thee, O Lord, that you sent him to die for us. And now we choose by your grace to live for him. Amen. Bless us in this hour. The spoken word will be to the profit of these thy people, yes. to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and to the furtherance of holiness in our lives. For we ask it in Jesus Christ's name and for his honor and glory. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 27, neither give place to the devil. It's a commandment. Give no place to the devil. It's a warning. There's a devil that wants some places in your lives. So it's a commandment and a warning for us. I would like you to look at Luke chapter 11. I don't want to repeat all the ground that I covered this morning at all because it would be inefficient and I hope that you can remember. The Lord willing, next Sunday there will be outlines for this sermon along with the rest that I've preached to you and you'll be able to review them and you're going to see how important that is in a moment, the Lord willing. Luke chapter 11, I want to to show you a statement in the Word of God for all those who might be hearing this tape and for all those that you might come in contact with who still think that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, is a future prospect. It's not a future prospect. It's been here for 2,000 years. And here's one of the grandest statements about it. In verse 14 of Luke 11, Jesus is casting out a devil, and it was dumb. The devil wasn't dumb. The devil caused the man that the devil was in to be dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake, and the people wondered. Verse 15, But some of them said, He casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others, tempting him, sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because ye say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. Now from those verses we learn that Satan has a kingdom. And it's not a divided kingdom. It's a very orderly kingdom exceedingly orderly. They understand authority far better than we do. But that's not what I want this passage for. Listen to these words. But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, 
No doubt the kingdom of God is come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted and divideth his spoils. Amen. Amen and amen. And who is the stronger man? The Lord Jesus Christ. The stronger man arrived on the scene and spoiled the strong man, went in and took away his armor, spoiled his palace. And do you know what we all are tonight? We were taken out of the palace of the strong man by the stronger man. And when we just sang those songs, I don't know if you think about it, but there is outside the limitations that God places on this assembly, those spirits hearing us, praising God and knowing that it's a miracle. Because they know that we were once, according to Ephesians chapter 2, walking according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. It tears them up. But they got to hear us sing. And every song we sing that lifts up the name of Jesus Christ, as a couple of our songs even tell us, it causes them to tremble. To hear that name. I hope you love the stronger man tonight. There's a strong man, and I don't want to call him a weak man. But I want to tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ is stronger. I don't want you to forget 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, so I want you to turn there, please. I need you to see it again with your eyes. When your eyes and ears are working together, the retention is much greater. And I want you to remember this verse. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It's the second place we go when we study, give no place to the devil. The verse says, this is the word of the Lord. Be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary the devil... As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Satan, the devil, that old serpent, the great dragon, is walking about looking for weak Christians who are giving him a little bit of room. Like that herd of antelope that I described earlier today that is out in that opening where they are safe if they would stay there. But there are a few of them that are foolish, who drift away from the group and get toward the cover of the woods where the lion is waiting for them. We give no place to the devil. We stay right in the center of that clearing where we're supposed to be, and we can stand. But if we give him a place, he'll take us down. First right. Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. I described to you this morning about Satan's kingdom. And I don't want to repeat that. But I want to show you that during the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he was active. Acts chapter 19. Turn to Acts chapter 19. I think that sometimes, and I fear this, that we look at the the, the word devil and Satan and his demons almost as a fable. It's... It's a story, it's, it's an illustrative story, it's a lesson, it's a fable in order to get us to be more motivated for the Lord. I mean, we might give it a noble reason, but it's not a fable, and it's not a lesson. It's a fact of existence in this universe. 
It's true. Right. Now I want you to read the Acts of the Apostles. This is the plainest book in the whole Bible. This is simply a historical account of about 30 years from the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ till the Apostle Paul is in his own hired apartment in Rome preaching to everyone who wants to come to him. But I read in Acts chapter 19 that the Apostle Paul is performing such great miracles that verse 12 tells us, from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons. And the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. If a man was possessed by an evil spirit, you could bring a hanky from the Apostle Paul and drop it on him. The spirit would depart. Now that's the power of God. Didn't Jesus say, you'll be able to do works greater than mine? I don't read about Jesus having hankies, and I don't say that disrespectfully. He, he said, all power is given unto me, and I give it to you. Now go do your job, apostles. And they went and did it. Amen. But now watch this. In verse 13, Then certain of the vagabond Jews, gypsies, we have them in our own country, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And there were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew, and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, and overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Now how many gypsies were there trying to cast out devils? Seven. How many men were there that had a, de- had a spirit in them? One. What hap- Who won in that battle? Demon. The one man possessed of a demon took out the seven. They ran out naked and wounded. And those demons know, brethren, they know. They know in this congregation who is holy and righteous, who's a mighty man and who isn't. Brethren, we can play games with each other. But we cannot play games with that world. They know. They know who the weak ones are. That's who they go after. And this was known, I love this part of it. This was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. Fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. That demons knew the name of Jesus. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. That's a revival. That is a revival. And it's all centered around the name of the Lord Jesus. Powerful name. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Brethren, I just read to you from the Acts of the Apostles. That's what they were running into. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. You say, why can't we see demon possession today? There's not much... (laughs) How do you want to answer that? There aren't enough righteous men to show the great distinction. They don't have to get crazy like they did in the time of the New Testament because carnal Christians are better than the man of the Gadarenes living in a cemetery. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 
the Apostle Paul writing to this church, he said, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. I'd have been there a couple times by now. But Satan hindered us. Satan kept them from getting there. He doesn't tell us how. Whether a uh, ship didn't make it into port. Whether they were... A wagon train was accosted by robbers and they had to turn back into a town that doesn't tell us. doesn't tell us if men got sick and couldn't bring Paul on his way. All he tells us is, Satan hindered us, Thessalonians, I would have been there. Now God always has his purpose in allowing Satan to do something like that. The Lord must have needed Paul where he was. We know that from Acts chapter 16. You can go over there and look. That the Spirit will direct the Apostle Paul so that he would end up exactly where he should be. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. See, in a godly man's life, you're going to have encounters with Satan. And I want you to believe it. Because the Bible told us to be sober and to be vigilant. It's serious business that we're talking about. And we need to be focused and attentive to the struggle at hand. 2 Timothy 4.17, the Apostle Paul is describing his first testimony before Caesar, because he's in Rome, he's writing to Timothy. He says in verse 16, in my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. That's being, a, that's being alone to be before Caesar. And I pray God that it may not be laid to their charge, what a merciful brother. Right. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. There he was, delivered out of the mouth of the lion. You say, well, that could have been Caesar. What's the difference? Did you read, did you read Revelation chapter 12 with me today? Did you notice how that great red dragon was called Satan in one place, a serpent in another place, a dragon in another place? It's all one and the same because the power behind that government was Satan himself, delivered out of the mouth of the lion. The Lord's able to do that. I hope that you enjoyed thinking about the fact that Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah that's far more than the devil, who is as a roaring lion. Right. He can roar all he wants, but when the Son of God chooses to roar in that great day, brethren, the heavens and the earth are going to flee away from the face of him that sits on that throne. And that is the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. I look forward to that day. He's going to own me as one of his own, and I'll get to march in his army behind him and bruise Satan under my feet. Satan's going to be cast in the lake of fire. And I'm going to be given a white robe and invited into the presence of God. Unbelievable. He's going to call me one of his brothers. He's going to say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. That's the doctrine of the devil. I gave you enough. We don't need more. The Bible tells us to be wise concerning that which is good and simple concerning that which is evil. We don't need to talk about the first church of Satan. We don't need to talk about witchcraft, witches, warlocks. And all the other stuff that I've spent my time reading. God forgive me. But I'm not going to do that for you. This is a New Testament church. You know where we stop? When the New Testament stops. So now we're going to look at some illustrations. Because that's what the word of God has given to us for. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. I want to show you some men who didn't handle the Satan well. And some men who did. The, The point of this whole thing. It is not 
a doctrinal understanding of the devil. The point is give no place to the devil. But we need that doctrinal foundation of who we're dealing with because the Bible gives it to us. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We must go to the first example in the Bible because it's the great one. It's the one that's mentioned several times throughout the Bible. He's called the old serpent from this event because it's 6,000 years old now. It's 4,000 years old when John wrote him about him being the old serpent in Revelation chapter 12. Now we read in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Now this beast of the field called a serpent is not the same as the devil. The devil just took over one of them. Whether this thing crawled in trees, walked in trees, or flew through the air, it had legs. We don't know. We don't know if it rolled up in a hoop and rolled around. Right. And I'm not trying to be funny. We don't know. And you know what? If, if we needed to know, the Lord would have told us. Exactly. All he did was strip off its legs and make it go in its belly for the rest of its existence in the dust to humiliate this particular creature of the beast of the field. Satan is not in the dust yet. He'll be worse than the dust. He'll be in flaming fire forever and ever, and the smoke of his torment will ascend up into heaven as the burning of incense before the throne of God. And his howling and his screaming will be a great backdrop to the singing of worthy is the lamb that was slain. Because he hated the Lord Jesus Christ and he was not content to be the most powerful creature God ever created. Credible pride and arrogance on his part. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Notice this question. Can we have a discussion about this rule that God's given you about the garden? Now, what I want to talk, what I'm preaching to you is give no place to the devil. I'm not going to deal with all the theological implications of this passage or anything like that. Let's always answer the question when we go to these illustrations, how did they give place to the devil? How did Eve give place to the devil? She entertained a conversation with question marks about the word of the Lord. She, she entertained a conversation with question marks about the word of the Lord. Now, I can turn you to an epistle of John where John tells a woman not to bid God speed to any man that comes to her house bearing not the doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why was that the case? Because she was a woman. Now, if it had been Adam, Adam might have... And, you know, the Lord doesn't tell us that, and the Lord just gives us what happened. But Satan knew he wasn't going to deal with Adam. Satan knew to go after Eve. And Eve and you women do not entertain questions about the Word of God. Say, God has spoken and take it up with my husband. Protect yourself. Cover yourselves. Take it up with my husband. She entered. Why didn't she say, shut up? What are you talking to me for? You're a serpent. God's told me. God created you and God created me. I'm not going to violate that. Talk to Adam. He's my head. I'm just his helper. She didn't say any of that. 
she starts, but of the fruit of the tree, and she goes on and starts to modify the word of God. But I want to, we want to talk about that first step because it's that first step where he gets the ground. Do you know how long he, you know how long it takes? How long does it take when that antelope wanders over near the woods? How long does it take? Does the lion say, well, I'll wait and let this one? No way. There's an explosion of brown, tawny fur across that ground, and then there's just one big hit. And the antelope's a supper. And Eve was. Look at the few seconds that it took. Brethren, do you ever think about the fact that, how simple was that commandment? Do you know how many we have to keep? She had one. How many trees could they eat of? All of them. Except one. All of them. One tree. The simplicity of the commandment, the greatness of the sin. Adam and Eve knew they were the father and the mother of all living. Don't think, don't think that the doctrine of representation was something that Paul came up with in Romans 5. Adam knew all about it. The speed of the seduction and the cost to their descendants. Can you believe how fast Satan took our parents down? Believe it. Believe it. Can men make decisions that cost their families? Can men make decisions that cost their churches? Can men make decisions that cost their businesses, cost their nations? Yes, yes, and yes. This was one of the greatest decisions ever made in a few seconds, took down the entire, all the descendants of Adam and Eve for one little commandment. And it started, though, by giving place to the devil. And giving place was entertaining a discussion with question marks about the word of God. We do not question what God said. There's a bumper sticker in this church. God said it, that settles it. No, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. That's what Eve should have said. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Go talk to Adam. Be forewarned. She gave place to the devil by entertaining a discussion. Satan Satan went on to use all three principal categories of his temptations. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You're all familiar with that? I'm not going to berate that point or beat it up again. But the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life are the three great categories of all of Satan's temptations. 1 John 2, 15 through 17, those are the three things that are in the world. Those are the three things that he always uses. The tree was good to look at, good for food, and it, would, it looked like a tree that could make one wise. There's the three categories. Very same three categories he will use later on Jesus Christ in the wilderness. We're not ignorant of his devices so that he can get an advantage of us. She gave place to the devil by talking to him. Women, God has spoken. It is not your place to discuss it, debate it, question it, or allow questions of it. Turn it over to your fathers or your husbands. Stay away from me. That's why listening to radio, tapes, and reading magazines on your own is not the way that God has ordained it. Don't resent me for that statement. That is not the way that God has ordained it. If you want to learn anything, let's, let them ask their husbands at home. Let the husband read the, read the pamphlet, go to the seminar, listen to the radio, or listen to the tape, then you can learn from him. That is not Jonathan Crosby. That is the word of God. Right. You do it any other route than the word of God, you are giving place. To the devil. You say, I thought giving place would just be 
watching an X-rated movie or something. Oh no, brethren, and oh no, sisters. If you don't do it God's way, you're giving place to the devil. The devil will see a family. Oh, we have a dysfunctional family here. The father's not taking his proper role. The husband's not taking his proper role. And the women are thinkers. And along comes the devil and will sow things in a woman's mind that he can sow so much faster than he can in a man's mind. Fiery darts of the wicked right into her head because she's thinking for the family spiritually. The man should do the thinking for the family spiritually. This is not the law or the gospel of Jonathan Crosby. This is the word of God. Amen. Right. Turn to Genesis chapter 4. I've said enough, Lord, give him wisdom to remember and to hear, to heed. To hear and to heed. Genesis chapter 4. This, this, there's, a, there's a short little statement. Forget Eve now. I want to move on. But I hope everybody heard what I said. But we've got to move on. There's a little statement here that I hope that the holy men in this congregation get excited to read. Cain was horrible. Cain was the son of the devil. Cain murdered his brother. While they're both at the altar of God, he was a terribly wicked brother, killing Abel. But God gave Adam and Eve another son named Seth. God loved Seth, and Seth loved God. And Seth had a son named Enos. Listen to this. Verse 25, Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, She hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, this is Genesis 4, 26, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Can you go back with me and can you go way back to the Garden of Eden? We have two parents out here with skins of animals on them because God clothed them with the skins of animals while they were trying to cover their nakedness with fig leaves. And there's a flaming cherub there in the Garden of Eden to keep the way of the tree of life so that they could never get to it again. Those two come together and they have Cain. They come together and they have Abel. Those two sons grow up and Cain kills Abel. We've got Adam, Eve, and Cain, as far as the Word of God tells us. No one is calling on the name of the Lord. Satan has won from his perspective. Eve's wise enough to know that any children she gets are from the Lord, and she says, I've got another son from the Lord. Names him Seth. Because remember, the righteous line was cut off with Abel. So God replaces it with Seth. Then Seth has a son named Enos. And brethren, a revival took place in a virgin world. And when I say virgin, I mean it was so new and fresh and young a revival took place. Yeah. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord with Enos. That's exciting. Amen. Do you know what I want? You know, when I read that, all I want is if God was writing history again, he would say in the year 2000, Jonathan Crosby began to call upon the name of the Lord more than he had before. And I want every man in here to read the passage the same way and say, forget Jonathan Crosby. I want to call upon the name of the Lord. This is a revival way back, way back. Okay, this is important. They're called the sons of God. They're called the sons of God. Now come over to Genesis chapter 6. We have a genealogy in chapter 5. Enos was way before Enoch. Way before Enoch. 
There might not have been an Enoch without an Enos because they taught their children. Men began to call upon the name of the Lord. But we come to chapter 6 and verse 1. It came to pass when men, what in the world does that mean, began to multiply in the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them. Now remember, we had a genealogy in chapter 5. This is a statement going back to our little tiny world and our little tiny family of Adam and Eve and describing their generation, what they were doing as a family. There were two families already. Cain and his descendants, Seth and his. Verse 2, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. Men began to multiply. Cain and Lamech, his son, and others began to multiply very rapidly, polygamously. All you got to do is read. Lamech had multiple wives. First man that wasn't content with God's order of creation had polygamy, incestuous relationships, and rapidly, rapidly increasing the population of the daughters of men so that there was this huge growth in the children of men that were the descendants of Cain, and you've got these sons of God over here called Enoch, called Seth and Enos, and their descendants... And the sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair. Brethren, they gave place to the devil again. They had just come out of the Garden of Eden. They're only a few generations separated from the Garden of Eden. And they're looking at the daughters of men. And when it says the daughters of men, it's taking that expression, daughters of men, and applying it to Cain and his descendants versus the sons of God, which were the descendants of Seth and Enos. Do you understand that? Amen. Some people jump into Genesis chapter 6 and think angels came down from heaven and had sex with men and the result was giants. Come, you're, That's so twisted. What sin nature would they have? What nature would they have? Would they have an angelic nature or a human nature? And I'm not trying to make fun of anyone. I'm just trying to make fun of a stupid point. Right. Don't do that. The sons of God are, who are they? God's regenerate children. And I showed you where they came from. They came from a revival of Seth and Enos. But these sons of God that were living righteously and that were calling upon the name of the Lord and had started worship. The first church. Do you know what the first church was called? The first church of Seth and Enos. It's right there in Genesis 4.20. It is. We don't know if it was called Primitive Baptist, Baptist or whatever, but it was the first church. It is the first church, the first public worship when men began to call upon the name of the Lord. But then they give place to the devil by looking at this sensual, sexual, carnal segment of their family descending from Cain. The sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were fair, and they went after their example, and they took them wives of all which they chose. Polygamy, incestuous, whatever, it didn't matter. If she looked good, grab her. And what does God do with that? They gave place to the devil by looking at the daughters of the world. He drowned the earth with a flood. He drowned the earth with a flood. Come over to Genesis chapter 13. You say, can't you stay there longer? That was exciting. What if you went through the rest of chapter 6? Well, then I'd be preaching on the flood, wouldn't I? I can't do that. You know how much trouble I got in this morning? I'm in trouble again tonight. I I want you to learn this. I want this to motivate you and excite you. I get excited when I read about Seth and Enos. 
I don't care if I was the only one in the world. I want to be the one calling on the name of the Lord. Do you you believe that? If they start persecuting us, and Satan brings the whole world against the camp of the saints of the Most High God, and you're the only one left, are you still going to call on the name of the Lord? Amen. I hope so. These are our brothers. These are our brothers. Genesis chapter 13. We're we're moving way forward, way forward, thousand years to uh, Abraham and his nephew Lot. You know the story. Abraham took his nephew when he left the land of the Chaldeans and came into Canaan. And they grew, they grew so much because the Lord was with them. And the Lord blessed Abraham. He built altars everywhere. He's called the friend of God because he walked with God. Amen. Everything Abraham touched increased. You say, well, it's not incre- everything I touch doesn't increase. That doesn't matter. God doesn't do that all the time. Those are Amen. exceptions. Right. As long as he's increasing you spiritually, that's what counts. Amen. That's what counts. He just blessed Abraham material. Abraham didn't really care either. Abraham just wanted to know God. They got so big that they had to separate. And Abraham, being the generous man that he was, takes his little nephew where he should have told him where to go park his stuff. He says, look at the property here and you pick what you want. And greedy little Lot gave place to the devil the first time by not honoring his elders, who was treating him like a father. How do you give place to the devil? All he needs is a little bit of room. As soon as Lot made the decision that, hey, I get a choice, well, instead of saying, no, uncle, you choose, and I'll take whatever's left, he stepped forward. That is not the way a Christian operates. It's taught with the Spirit of God. First mistake. Second mistake was that when he picked the land, it tells us in chapter 12, I mean, chapter 13, verse 12, that Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. Genesis 13, 12, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. And see, I want those words to be burned into your souls. He pitched his tent toward Sodom. How are you pitching your family? And how are you pitching your tent? What's it toward? Is it toward Seth and Enos? Is it toward Abraham being a friend of God? Or is it carnally minded? Is it educationally minded? Is it financially minded? Economically minded? Socially minded? What are you pitching your tent toward? Lot made a choice. I love that lush property down there heading toward Sodom. But look at what the Lord wants us to know about that choice. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And if you ever start to think, because of all the propaganda that's being fed Americans, that sodomy is not all that bad, don't forget Genesis 13, 13. They were sinners before the Lord, wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. But that's where Lot went. we got to move on. How did he give place to the devil? Instead of honoring the man that God was honoring, Abraham, he honored himself above Abraham, And then he pitched his tent toward Sodom, which is a city known for wickedness. What's a child of God supposed to do not to give the devil any place? Cut off every occasion for such wickedness. Get as far away from it as you can. Be extreme in the other direction. Say, Abraham, you're the friend of God. Maybe you can handle that temptation, but I'm going in the other direction. 
Genesis 37. Genesis 37. Satan got Adam with Eve, and Satan got the sons of God with the daughters of men. You think we'll run into that again? Genesis 37, verse 3. Now Israel loved more than loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Did they give place to the devil right there? What did it end up? If it hadn't been for Reuben saving his life, they'd have killed him. They wanted to kill their brother. Reuben interfered, saved his life, and what they do instead? Sold him as a slave down into Egypt with a band of Ishmaelites that came by. How did it all start? They saw that their father loved a son that he happened to have in his old age from a woman that had never given him any children. That was Rachel. You can sort of understand that. Do you know what a child of God should have done? They should have loved that Joseph because he was such a special child. They should have said, Thank you, Lord, for opening the womb of our father's other wife, his favorite wife. Thank you for doing that. This is a special son. Let's love him. Now I'm speaking to every son in here, every daughter in here. That's a child of God. They would have looked at Joseph, known that he was loved more than they were, but would have understood why and would have loved him too because he was a son of a special woman in a man's old age. That's why Israel loved him. Instead, they hated him. And they couldn't speak peaceably to him. Now let's take that a step further and apply it at home. You're not going to get out of this series until we get this really close to home. But have you ever had anybody that you kind of resented or hated and couldn't speak peaceably to them, you have given place to the devil. The devil loves to sow hatred because hatred is nothing but the first steps of murder. And in God's sight, it is murder. It's a violation of the commandment, thou shalt not kill, to be angry with someone without a cause. And they did not have a cause to be angry. They gave place to the devil. And you know what horrible trouble that caused? All of them. They lived in grief and guilt for how many years? And the father and the mother, she she had passed. The trouble. Now, the Lord overruled it, but that doesn't justify what happened at all. We thank the Lord that he's able to overrule sin. But we still look at the responsible parties and know that it shouldn't have been done. Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. Joseph's in the house of Potiphar. The Lord's with Joseph. You know, if you're walking with the Lord, you can be sold to a band of Ishmaelites and taken down to Egypt and still have a great time. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Do these words mean anything to you? And the Lord was with him. Have you ever read the story of Joseph and seen how many times those words are there? And the Lord was with him. It didn't matter. Jail. The Lord was with him. The Lord was with Joseph. He, was a, he must have been a goodly man. What we're told about him is so honorable. But here he is in Genesis, Genesis chapter 39, and he's in Potiphar's house. And it tells us in verse 7 that Potiphar's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. What a temptation. 
Anybody around there from home that would tell dad? This is like a businessman on a trip. All of you men who travel for business, I've been there. I know what all the bankers used to do when they would be able to get out of town and into another city. It's a huge temptation to be away from home in a foreign city where no one knows you and an expense account at your disposal. Joseph was on a business trip for the Lord, and he was down in Egypt, and he's got a beautiful woman. Potiphar's wife was not a dog. She said, lie with me. Pretty subtle, huh? And what an answer. You want to know how to answer the devil? Amen. Just like Jesus did. It is written. He refused. What is that called? That's called resisting the devil. And said to his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Amen. Is that a brother? Amen. That is a holy brother. That's why the Lord was with him. When you have a heart like that, the Lord will be with you. Does this sound like Psalm 101? Amen. I hate the work of them that turn aside. Amen. Oh, when wilt thou come to me? Do you follow how it all works together? You live like that, the Lord will come to you. Do you understand that? Yeah. This is just like Psalm 101? And it came to pass, verse 10, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. I know Joseph, and he had to go in. He had work to do, and he's doing his job. Verse 12, and she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. Did he talk to her again? When she's that close, could he smell her? Could he feel her? What did he do? He did what every young man should do that's in a situation like that, and hopefully every young man should do some things before he gets in a situation like this. He fled. And we're going to find some Bible verses written by Solomon and the Apostle Paul that tell us to do just that. Flee! Amen. Run! Do you know how shameful that is? I'm appealing to the hearts of men. Women may not understand. Men, beautiful woman. She wants you to sleep with her. But you run away instead. Everything, apparently. But he did it. That is a man that gave no place to the devil. He did not stay there and talk to her about it. He did not stay there and say, maybe we can have an emotional relationship. What a man. Genesis 39, Joseph. He didn't give place to the devil. Now, we've read about some that did and their failures, but there's one in the Bible that didn't. He paid the price, but I want to tell you, verse 21 tells me this, where he was thrown into prison bound. What are those words? Verse 21, he's in prison bound for following and serving the Lord. But the Lord was with him. But the Lord was with Joseph, right. showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, and on it goes until he's sitting on the throne. Amen. Turn over to 2 Samuel 11. The illustrations of the Word of God, I am not taking these from McKnight's sermon illustrations that's used at Bob Jones University. 
I am taking these from the Old Testament. We're told in Romans chapter 15 that the things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. Amen. That we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Right. Because there's good men like Joseph. That's a true story. I don't know if McKnight's little stories are true or not. Right. And I don't care. This is God left these here for us to know about these men. Some men failed. Some men didn't. Some men gave place to the devil. Some did not. Some resisted the devil, and he would flee from them. David, a man after God's own heart. 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. Got a little sentence here. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. He gave place to the devil. He was not where he was supposed to be. He was not doing what he was supposed to be doing. It's stuck right there for us. Then we get to read chapter 11 and find out what happened and find out the sin, find out the judgment that followed. And ever since 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, David is always mentioned when you are talking about David in the Word of God as to what a great man he was. There is always a footnote saying, except in the matter of Uriah the Hittite and Bathsheba. Right. And it all started with giving place to the devil by not being where he was supposed to be and doing what he was supposed to be doing. So, as husbands and as fathers and as church members and as a pastor and as a citizen and every, every other responsibility we have, let us make sure that we are doing it well. Because it will keep us very busy and occupied where the Lord wants us to be. But if we are not, we can be like David and give place to the devil. I want to tell you something, brethren. David was not a marginal Christian. Do you want to go back just four chapters and read chapter 7, my favorite chapter about David in the whole Bible that I mentioned this morning where he's sitting in his house and he wants to build God? That's, that's chapter 7. What happened in chapter 11? It tells us right there in the first verse. Now my point is, and the whole point of this study is, give no place to the devil. You say, how does that apply specifically to us? I'm gonna, we'll get to us. But I want you to see that in the Word of God, we are told, we're not... We're not left to wonder, how could David do that? It started out by giving place to the devil, and as soon as you give place to the devil, you'll do anything. Right. Because the devil will cause you to do anything. Amen. He is more powerful than you are, and if you give him place, he'll push you down and pull you down and devour you. Yes. Thankfully, when David wrote Psalm 23 and he said, He restoreth my soul, I hope that has great meaning for you. Amen. Because he delivered him out of the clutches of the devil. Right. You go read those psalms. When you read those psalms, you imagine a man with a heart after God that went into sin that badly several times and back out. He knew about the grace of God. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 3. When you give an example like that to your children, without the mercy of God, and if you don't correct it, Carefully, there's going to be problems following in 
future generations. Solomon is a man that we love because God loved him. God gave him great wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, you can read in verse 5 that in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I shall give thee. Isn't that great? Amen. The Lord said the same thing to us. I think it's Matthew 7, 7, Ask and it shall be given you. I don't know what other, what other words you need. He's, he's offered the same thing to all of us. But anyway, we love Solomon. We love this story of how he answered the Lord so well and the Lord blessed him abundantly. But he had already given place to the devil. Right. We know what happened to Solomon later in his life. 300 wives and 700 concubines. Or the other way around, I get confused. All I know is it adds up to 1,000. He had 1,000 women. And they turned his heart away from the Lord so that he was serving other gods and building temples to pagan gods after the dedicatory prayer that we get to read about in Scripture. Isn't that incredible? Yes. Who can pull a man down like that? Satan. How can you pull a man down from building the most glorious edifice for the Lord God offering 120,000 sheep, 22,000 oxen, watching fire fall down from heaven and consume it, and uttering the most beautiful prayer in the whole Bible. And then he's passing his own seed to Molech. Satan. How did it get started? 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 1. And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter. I want you to notice the relationship here. God is merciful, isn't he? But God already knew. When God came and said, ask what you will. But do you remember what the conditions were in that? The Lord said, if you, if you'll be faithful and keep all my commandments, I'll defend you and I'll be with you. But if you don't keep my commandments, I will leave you. And the Lord left him. The Lord left him to Satan. He had already taken the daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. You do not have to wonder if that was the will of God or not. It was not the will of God. The word of God plainly declared they were not to have covenants and relationships with those pagan nations around Israel and take their wives to be theirs. He didn't need to do that at all. Especially Egypt. But he did it. And so when we look at the life of Solomon and we say, how could the man who who wrote Proverbs... How could the man who wrote Proverbs end up like he did? He gave place to the devil. Do you understand why I'm doing this? Amen. If you think for a second that you're above that, now I know I've mentioned a lot of men. I've mentioned a a woman or so, but everyone in here, be sober, be vigilant. This is a very serious thing that we are talking about. If you give place to the devil... He can take you down and devour you. I want to take just a few more minutes and jump from our illustrations to just a few practical applications. And then next Sunday, Lord willing, as part of my, as part of our day of worship next Sunday, we will go after some real application of giving place to the devil in our lives because it's what I'm greatly concerned about for our whole congregation, including my family and me. It's what we've got to be on guard against, especially in this day, I believe by Revelation chapter 20 that Satan was bound for a thousand years in a bottomless pit. That bottomless pit was to hinder him from deceiving the nations so that the gospel could have free course and be glorified around the world, and it was. 
Wherever they went and preached, men were converted. It didn't matter where it was. I mean, Paul turned the world upside down. There were congregations everywhere. There were congregations in the city of Rome, which was the capital of that red dragon. Pretty impressive, huh? Mm -hmm. And of Caesar's household, we're reading, the word of God had been converted. Now, that's the word of the Lord having free course. I mean, there were Ethiopians running back to meet Candace and wanting to tell her what he had just learned about Isaiah 53 and saying that I met a, a man out there who baptized me and then he disappeared. There were awesome things going on in the world because Jesus had said all power is given to me in heaven and earth because he had bound the strong man and his palace was open to spoiling. And so men were being converted. That was to be for a thousand years. That thousand year term is a figurative expression. Revelation chapter 20 describing the period of Christ's reign on the Christ's reign from heaven over the earth when the gospel would have free course. But before the end, just before the end, that devil is going to be loosed from that bottomless pit so that he can resume his previous activity that he's been limited from or hindered from. Now, he's been still walking about seeking whom he may devour individually. But he hasn't been able to take over governments and nations like he did to blind them to the gospel. He could still motivate them personally and individually, but not to shut the gospel off. The darkness was lifted from the earth for the Lord to send forth the gospel. But just before the end, Satan will be loosed from that bottomless pit and will go forth again to deceive the nations. There is no prophecy in the word of God keeping us from believing that we are at that time. Point one. Point two All you have to do is look around and read what's going on in the earth and the overall hatred of true biblical Christianity from all quarters. How do we give no place to the devil? Let's quickly look at a few verses. Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. Give no place to the devil. That means the devil wants to get a little bit of room. If he can get a toehold in your life, he can push you and move you back and push you down. You're to stand, not to be moved, steadfast. But if you give him a little place, if you give him a little room, he'll get a toehold on you and and some leverage and push you down. We're to stand and not give him any opportunity in our lives. We read in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. Romans 13, 11, the apostle writing to that capital of the red dragon, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. There's some armor right there. Make it holiness from top to bottom. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness. You need a modern word for that? Partying. Rioting, drunkenness, chambering, and wantonness is partying. Not in strife and envying. Oh, there's some uh, matters of the heart that we can get into trouble with. Not just partying, but we can have matters of the heart. Not 
with strife and envying. Verse 14, But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I know you've heard this verse. I know you've heard it from me before. But I want you to look at the 14th verse very carefully, that middle clause, make not provision for the flesh. Don't make any provision for your flesh. Your flesh wants to consume itself on this world. Don't give it any opportunity. Don't even give it a situation where it could be a potential sin. That's what it means. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't give it an opportunity. Don't let there even be a chance or the potential situation for sin. Cut it off and get away. You say, if I were to do that, my life would change. Amen. We're making progress in our understanding of holiness. Yes, our lives will change. But what if the thing is practical and necessary? Cut it off! Is that practical and necessary? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye, very valuable little instrument, offends you, pluck it out. I don't know if I could live without TV. Cut it off. Try it. For the Lord's sake, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's an example that I give. I give that example for very good reason. It's one of the most obvious, and it's one of the most dangerous. We're to mortify our flesh. Colossians chapter 3. That means to put our flesh in all of its desires. And there's a list there. Colossians 3, 5 through 8. There's a list of the offenses of the flesh. We're to mortify them. That is to put them to death. Do you know what we try to get away with? Spanking them. We spank them. We spank the deeds of the flesh. We tell ourselves, naughty boy, shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have watched that. And then go the next weekend and watch another one. Naughty boy. Do any of you know what I'm... I'm telling you exactly what you do. How do I know? That's right. Naughty boy. We shouldn't have watched that. Shouldn't have done that. Lord, forgive me, and go do it again. Do you know what the Bible says? Cut it off, pluck it out, put it to death. Put it to death. Don't give it even an opportunity to get you to sin. Where do you go? What do you read? What do you watch? What do you say? What friends do you have that you have to sometimes confess sins for? Those places, those things, those friends, guess what? Cut them off. Cut them off pluck them out, get rid of them, put them to death. That's what it means to make no provision for the flesh. If you know television has, can, could, would, has tempted you, should you channel surf? Now let's, should you channel surf? No. You say, you're getting, in, you're getting into my personal life. Amen. So the whole New Testament's about is your personal life. Should you channel surf? No. How can you channel surf if you've been tempted before and you've sinned before? And if you don't know that you've sinned, you need to go back and start over with the tapes again, beginning with the glory of the church and work yourself forward to find out. Television's a horrible thing. 
And if you're comfortable watching it, you're not comfortably holy. Amen. How can you do it? That's making a provision for the flesh. As soon as you sit down there and say, I just need to relax, pull the tie down. I just need to relax for a few minutes. Click, 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 click. Let me tell you what will happen when you click, 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 click. Before you know it, two hours has been blown. And you're tired. It's time to go to bed. And guess what you forgot to do? Forgot to have devotions with the kids, love the wife, read my Bible, pray and seek God, and sing to him in my private closet. And then while you're laying there in bed thinking about, man, the night went away so fast and I forgot to pray that, oh, I'm so tired, Lord, I'll try to pray tomorrow. And you go off to sleep, but you've just exposed yourself to so much wickedness through that stinking thing in your house called the television. While you went from channel to channel to channel, you saw so much corrupt flesh being stuck in your face by the daughters of men, and you're supposed to be a son of God. Is that right or not? You hit it. Where are the Seths and the Enuses? We need to be calling upon the name of the Lord. There are substitutes that you can create for television. Did you know that it's only existed for two generations? Can you believe that? That the world got along for 6,000 years without it? Amen. Look at... Oh... Flee youthful us. Paul told Timothy, flee youthful us. Who did we just read about that did that? Joseph. Joseph. Look at Proverbs. Does Solomon ever teach that? Amen. When, he, when he was in his right mind and the Lord was inspiring things through his pen and his father was giving him some advice, did David ever give him some good advice? Amen. Did he get into trouble when he went on one of those senior trips down to Egypt? Where did he meet Pharaoh's daughter? Not all senior trips are bad. Somebody's going to jump on me for it. Somewhere, Solomon went and met Pharaoh's daughter. Saw her at some event. Thought he just had to have her. But look what David had already taught him. Remember, the first ten chapters of Proverbs are by David to Solomon. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 14, talking about Wicked men, enter not into the path of the wicked. Enter not into the path. Don't even get started. You've all been to a place where they have hiking trails, and there's a little sign that says, three miles to such and such a point. Well, if that trail happens to be the path of wicked men, he doesn't even want you walking past the sign. Don't go down it a ways and see, I'm going to see if I can handle this. Ever heard those words before? I think I can handle this. That's giving place to the devil. He knows you can't. And after this series, you're supposed to know you can't. You don't go past the sign. Let's go watch that movie tonight. We'll just try to ignore the bad stuff. I know you wish I didn't know you. Anyway, Proverbs 4.14. Enter not into the path. I'm not going. I'm not going at all. I don't watch it at home at all. Amen. Haven't missed it a bit. Miss it. Yesterday, do you think you could have got me interested in anything that comes on television about 11 o'clock in the morning? Proverbs 4.14, Enter not into the path of the wicked and go not in the way of evil men. Look at verse 15. Don't you think 14 would have been enough? Look at verse 15. Avoid it. Pass not by it. Turn from it and pass away. Amen. It's so nice to just go up and look at that sign. 
three miles to the top of the mountain. Oh, I wish I could do that. I shouldn't do that. Oh, wow. I'll bet that's a great trail. I shouldn't do that. I'll bet it's a great trail. Maybe I could handle it. That's what he's saying don't do. Because if you do that, you're giving place to the devil. You give the devil that little bit of time because you're inching over toward the woods. He's laying in the tall grass. He's laying in the tall grass and his tail is just doing this. Very slowly. Because he's, he's licking it. That's his way of licking his chops without making any noise. Because he knows he has a hot meal coming. Proverbs chapter 5 and verse 8. Remove, speaking of a, of a strange woman. Verse 3 is a strange woman. Verse 8 tells us how to avoid her. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house. Don't get near her. Don't talk to her. Don't email her. Stay away from her. 6.5 Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter. How does a deer get away from a hunter? You men who've been out hunting... And you blow a thirty out six a hundred yards away from a deer. How fast does it move in getting away? Faster than the bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Is that the text? Amen. Deliver thyself as a roe from the hand of the hunter, and as a bird from the hand of the fowler. If you get your hands on a bird and then let go, how fast does it move? Does it just flutter around your head, hoping you'll grab it again? Or does it take off? That's here. This is a proverb. This is a proverb. It's a picture for us to get a hold of and to get away from sin. Amen. Let me just hit a couple more and we're done. Listen to this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 5. Don't think that I go anywhere but where the Word of God leads me, because I don't. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we have... A whole chapter dedicated to marriage. Now, brethren, I want you to know, because you've got to leave today, you've got to leave the lessons of today realizing that right now in this room, there is a large number of spirits. By the grace of God, the ones that are in this room right now are God's elect and holy angels. They're here. This is a real situation that I'm talking to you about. Be sober, be vigilant. Don't laugh, and don't think lightly of what I'm telling you. There are incredibly powerful and glorious beings in here that hear every word that I'm saying. They watch every bit of your response to me. They see it all. They hear it all. They already know the full truth. Outside of this room, there are a lot of other spirits of the devil himself and maybe some in here, hindered by the good angels that are here with us and by the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You have got to have that in your head. Right. If you do not have that in your head, then you missed Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 12. You missed 1 Peter 5. You missed all these verses that I went to to show you that Satan is a real entity in the universe and his angels are real entities in the universe. Do you, know, want to, do you want to know how specific it gets? Listen, no one else gets into your bedroom and watches your sexual relationship with your wife, but the good, and the, the good and the evil angels certainly do. They know whether you have a good sexual relationship with your wife or not. They know if you love your wife or not. 
They know every bit of that. They know how you lay in that bed at night, and whether you are content, frustrated, bitter, discontent, resentful, or envious. Can I prove that with the Bible? Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. Defraud ye not one the other, and the only thing under consideration is sexual considerations for your marriage partner, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer, and come together again, that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. Right there it is. You know, no one else gets in there. I know, you pull the blinds and you lock the door. And you're hopefully got a house where it's at the other end of the house from the kids. Great design. Dual bedroom pattern. But they're there. The holy angels aren't bothered. They're rejoicing if you're loving your wife the way you're supposed to. The evil angels that are there, if you're not, they see that they have a toehold in your life. They can go after you and sow bitterness and discontent in your heart, man or woman, because you're not content and satisfied and happy with your partner. You have given place to the devil. This is the word of God. Amen. It's the word of God. Satan will come after you. You say, I'd never commit adultery. You don't have to commit adultery to sin and be a carnal Christian. You can be discontent with your marriage partner. That's just as bad as adultery. You defraud your marriage partner, defraud him one way or the other, don't have a good sexual relationship with him or have it with someone else. You're defrauding your marriage partner. Satan will get a toehold in your life and take you down, and you'll be a carnal Christian. We don't want any carnal Christians. We want 50 on fire Enos, Enoses and Seths that are calling upon the name of the Lord. And we do that by having great relationship with our wife. Notice how careful the Apostle Paul was. You can stop it for a little while for prayer and fasting, but then come together again or Satan's going to get you. Did you see that? That's not Jonathan Crosby. That's the Word of God. You know, our country says as soon as you turn 16, you're allowed to go out and have a date without a chaperone. I love, I love hearing the words. They're just music to my ears as a proof of the insanity of the human race. Right. What's your position on dating? 16. What in the world is a 16-year-old? What's different between a 16-year-old and a 6-year-old? Not much. A whole lot of yeah. Right. More dangerous. I could send a 6-year-old out on a date easily. There isn't any difference except the the severe hormones that they cannot control if they were sent out without a chaperone. Now, let's just think about it for a minute. But that's what the whole world says, right? Isn't that the typical age? I don't let them date until they're 16. What a man. You are a father. What a father and a mother. The law of the father stands in our home. You can't date until you're 16. What a man. And you hear all that like there's some, my father won't let us date until we're 16. What are you talking about? An unchaperoned date. Does anyone need help understanding that that is giving place to the devil? No. And making a provision for the flesh. Right. No. Our country is sick. Amen. Country is sick. One more point. Very different. I know I said only a few, and this is the last one of the few. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. If I don't keep my word soon, though, I'll be giving place. Luke chapter 8. 
I just want one more. This is what we're going home with. Luke chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus gave the parable of the sower, and he said that the seed that was sown by the sower was the preaching of the word of God. And in verse 12, he says, Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil, and taketh taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. That's Luke 8, 12. The word of God can save us from giving place to the devil and can save us to victorious, pleasing lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. But you have to hear and you have to grab a hold of it and you have to remember it and retain it. And verse 18 of this same chapter will say, Take heed, therefore, how ye hear. Brethren, we're going to say amen. You're going to get up and you're going to walk out of here. Are you going to remember what we talked about today? Tomorrow will you remember it? Will you talk about it with your family? The next day will you remember it and talk about it with your family? Will you think about giving place to the devil and not do it? He is looking for you when you leave this place to see if he can do something to snatch away the word of God. Because I believe that right now there are some in here saying, I want to be like Seth and Enos. I don't want to give place to the devil. But the minute I say amen, and you walk out of this assembly, he's after you for the word of God. And if you go get distracted with other things, and don't keep these matters before your eyes, and before your mind, and in your heart, he'll snatch it away. And then we've lost the day's work. May the Lord bless us to keep it. May he help us keep it to the glory of Jesus Christ. Stand with me.